Let me ask you once again to turn to Matthew chapter 5. E. Stanley Jones, in talking about uh, the Beatitudes, said, uh, at first sight, you felt the Beatitudes turned everything upside down. At second sight, you understood that they turn everything right side up. The first time you read them, they are impossible. The second time you read them, nothing else is possible. The Beatitudes are not a chart for Christian duty. They are a charter for Christian liberty. I want you to keep that in mind. A charter for Christian liberty as we read through them once again in Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, the power is in your word because it is the word of the living word. Will you, Lord, today, by your spirit, speak to our hearts, move us, mold us to be who we ought to be in you, to live according to our identity in Christ, or to see, Lord, our ultimate need, which is Christ himself. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we come to the third of the Beatitudes about meekness. There is a caricature about meekness that we, we just simply have to cope with. Uh, I want you to think of a wimpy person that you know. Now, here's some ground rules for that. I, I don't, first of all, I don't want everyone, you know, say I'm looking at them, or uh, I don't want you to, in fact, I don't want you to look at anybody here in this room or think about anyone particularly around you. Think of some character out there or an actor 
that you would think of as being meek. I suspect, if you're anything like me, you think of uh, somebody with a, a squeaky little wobbly voice, uh, you know, uh, um, somebody with no muscles. This is the guy on the beach that those of you remember the old thing where the bully would come along and kick sand on the guy on the beach. That, that is what many of us tend to think of when we think about meekness. Now let me define it today because like so much of Jesus' teaching and certainly the Beatitudes, He goes contrary to what our world tells us is the definition of this or that. Uh, Stanley Jones talking about, you know, you think that turns the world upside down, then you realize, no, no, it's actually turning the world right side up. Uh, the Greek word for gentleness or meekness is uh, really from a positive sense. Whenever it's spoken of positively, it's typically in a Christian context. Because, as I said, our world doesn't look on that as a positive characteristic. Here's what the lexicon says. It consists not in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to his fellow men, nor his natural disposition. Rather, it is a grace of the soul. It's chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept His dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. And it's closely related to humility. Now that's the word of the lexicon. Let's go into the living word. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Why was Jesus' message of meekness so contrary in his day? Now I'm going to give you two angles, politically and religiously. If you will, for a moment, try to transport yourself back into that day. You were a Jewish person in that day. You're living in Palestine. Rome had annexed us. That means taken over. Forced their power upon us. After we had had hard-fought victory and, and freedom that we were enjoying. And so, some 60 years ago, they took over and it has been oppressive. We can't stand it. It's frustrating. And we are looking for somehow for the lack of independence to come to an end. It's a miserable existence. We hate it so much that in some ways we remain in denial that they rule over us. From a religious point of view, we feel oppressed also. Everyone's waiting for the Messiah. And there are those among us, the, the zealots, that wouldn't mind if there was even some violence that took place to make way for the Messiah. There were assassins among them. 
Perhaps they could take out somebody and, and make room for the Messiah to come in. Now, that kind of an atmosphere uh, was ripe for false messiahs to rise up all the time. And you were constantly hearing about this one or that one. And then you hear about one who seems to be a little bit different. He's getting a lot of followers quickly. And you hear from some who have heard him that he talks differently than others that we have had before that we thought were the Messiah. And so you hear, he's going to come and he's going to, to be on such and such mountain. That's where his followers are. Let's go there and listen to his teaching. And with great hope, you go to hear him at that rally. He is on the mountainside. His closest followers are up close, and then there are many others around, and you get to where you can hear him speak. He has everyone's attention. You're waiting for him to talk about how, how are we going to overthrow this Roman government that is over us. And then you hear him say, I'm going to tell you how to be happy. How to be blessed. We know how to be happy. We want to be free. And he says, be poor in spirit. Mourn. Be meek. There is another kingdom that is coming, and it is heaven. We don't want heaven. We want the earth. Be meek, and you will inherit the earth. You're disappointed. Because it's the opposite of what your intuition, what your gut tells you. That won't work. How naive is he to think that that is the way that we will be free? And so you go away disappointed and disillusioned. And then you hear sometime later that that same Messiah is around, the, some are calling the Messiah, and he's going into Jerusalem, and, and maybe this is the time, in fact, even his own followers are saying, is it now that you're going to establish your kingdom? And so you go to Jerusalem, and you are there to welcome him in at this great Passover celebration. So Jerusalem is teeming with people. Now would be the time to overthrow Rome. And you welcome him in, and you're disappointed as you see him. Instead of coming in on a white stallion or a great horse of victory, you see him on the back of a colt. And so you're once again disappointed. Let's get on to the real leader. You're let down again. If he's going to preach meekness, okay, let him be meek. In fact, crucify him. Some 
of you in that day got to that point. Now, what were they missing about his message? What was it they were missing? Well, they were missing, I believe, what many in our day are missing about the message as well. That's why his claims are still so radical. In our day, the meek may inherit the earth, but you will be told the meek won't win the SEC or ACC championship. The meek won't even be in the starting lineup. The meek won't even make the team. The meek, you will be told, won't get the scholarships. The meek will not get the job, and if they get the job, they'll never go anywhere in the company because the meek won't become the manager or the boss or the owner. The meek won't win the election. So we are told. And in fact, even in Christian circles, we can fall guilty of that. The meek, some would say, won't be very good church planters. I'm not sure you could pass our church planting assessment center if that is your main characteristic, at least according to the way we tend to think of it. And the meek won't get the best church and they will not make it grow. So, we are told. So what about Jesus? Back in Isaiah 42, look at what the Bible says. What would Jesus do In Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Here's what he will do. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Okay, that's a big plan. That's what the Jews wanted. Isn't that what we want as well? How would he do it? Well, the Word of God tells us what He won't do. I think God does it that way because typically we would say, well, we we know how He'll... uh, How are you going to bring justice to all the nations? you got to take them over. you got to have great power. you got to do this, and you got to do that. And the Scripture here says what He won't do. Verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up His voice or make it heard in the street. It says he's not even going to raise his voice to do that. Here's how he's described. A bruised reed he will not break. means that there's a tenderness. He could handle a bruised reed and not even snap it. And a faintly burning wick he'll not quench. He'll faithfully bring forth justice. This tenderness, this 
care for the bruised or half-broken reed. And, the, and the, you, you think of the, the flickering, uh, uh, burning wick. If you ever walk with a candle, you know how easy it is just to put it out. He says, that's, that's how gentle, that's how meek he will be. Well, one might say, well, how's that going to work? Can you really bring forth justice in that way? Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He will bring justice to the nations. How? Well, you've got to go back to verse 1. There's the answer. I will put my spirit on him. Okay. So what about us? What about us? Remember, I, we can't confuse the way we might tend to think of meekness with what the Scripture is talking about in terms of that quality of gentleness and meekness. What it's not. It's not that caricature. It's not a weakness. It's not having no backbone. A person is asked to do something that you're uh, completely convinced of uh, that they're capable of doing it, and then them saying, no, no, I, I really don't think I, I can do that. That's not biblical meekness. Okay. Or that false humility or um, you know, retreating to avoid confrontation. That's where, that's where a lot of us are and we might say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm real meek when it comes to confrontation. Here's what you've got to be careful of. Some fall into appearing meek for several reasons. One reason can be the, the culture that you're raised in or the family you were raised in. You might say, oh, you know, when it, when it comes to confrontation, we don't do that in this part of the country or I wasn't raised that way. What the problem is? Well, if we are given a, a biblical standard we must never let our culture or how we were raised trump that. Because the Word of God is above culture. It should dictate culture. Now, it's true. There, there are parts of the country that, uh, you know, are, are typically would not want to confront to someone's face. And then there's other parts of the country where that's how they do everything. They, everything's a confrontation to one's face. Well, neither one of those should be our standard. It should be, what does the Bible say? How do we, how do we deal with this? And it shouldn't be your personality type what, that, that God gave you. You know, some, would, some have no problem with meekness. Oh, well, good, I'm glad finally that, that quality is getting some good press here because I, 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 that's me, you know? Well, if it is you in the biblical sense, that's good. But it's not just about what our, our normal personality is because the Word of God has to dictate over and above that as well. And we must submit to that. So how do we deal with those challenges if we have a different background or if, if meekness is not a good characteristic and I was raised differently and so on? Well, we've got to face the cultural family and even personality challenge 
Here's what God's word says. Do not be conformed to this world. We could, we could stop right there. And that's, you know, that's, a, that, that's an awful lot of Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount, certainly in the Beatitudes. Don't, don't conform to this world. And what you think this world is teaching is, is not the, the right way. In fact, as Stanley Jones says, I'm, I'm not going to turn it upside down. I'm going to turn it right side up. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Christianity is, is a, above culture in this. You can't just say, I wasn't raised that way or I was raised that way. It's about your Father who is in heaven and what He says is, is right. And then we need to understand who we are in Christ. And that's a, a key in this. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he describes his children, his people. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's how he starts out. And then he says, this is what you need to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, how does that fit in? Well, do you remember that I, I've said each week, this is our third week on, on the Beatitudes, and I've said each week we are going to be building on previous Beatitudes, and, and it, it, it's a building process. It started with being poor in spirit, knowing that we could not possibly earn or deserve salvation. There is nothing in my hand that I can bring. Only to the cross do we cling. And so we begin with that, knowing that we are spiritually bankrupt without Christ. And then when we get to that point, how do we live the rest of our lives? Well, we've got to deal with our sin, and that's where the, the mourning, the grieving comes in. And you'll be comforted. How are we comforted? Well, the only comfort we can get is because we grieve over our sin, but we are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. So we don't stay in that grief. We rejoice. We receive the comfort. And so then... Where do we go? And that's where this meekness comes. The right response to knowing those things that we are forgiven in Christ is to be meek toward God. It's about who we are in Christ. It is to be meek by the biblical definition. It's not a weakness, as we will see in a moment. Because it's Christ in us. It is understanding also the limits of the evil one. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How can we afford to be meek when 
Uh, he is uh, the evil ones out there prowling around wanting to devour us. Well, because the one that dwells in us, if we are in Christ, is greater than that one. It isn't Satan who is in control. Job understood that. Satan can't do anything to me if I am one of uh, his children in Christ Jesus. He cannot do anything to me that God who loves me does not permit. You can be assured of that. It's believing our verse of the year. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, Job hadn't seen that verse. But he understood that concept. Absolutely. That it's God who is in control and He always does what's best for His children. How can we afford to be meek? That's why. It comes from knowing God and His power. Do you remember Mr. Miyagi? Some of you say Mr. Miyagi. I beg your pardon. Well, he's from the Karate Kid. One, two, three, four, five, however many Karate Kids there were. Mr. Miyagi was uh, a little oriental gentleman. And he knew karate, we find out later in uh, the movie. Now, Mr. Miyagi is a, basically a very peaceful man. He, he seems mild-mannered. And at one point in one of the movies, I don't remember which one it is, um, but in one of the movies, he's, he works on these little bonsai plants, and somebody uh, breaks in and tears up all the bonsai plants and messes up his house and all kinds of things. It's, it's terrible. It's frustrating to see that happen. And Daniel, his, uh, the little one he, that he's mentoring, he's teaching him karate and so on, is all upset. And Mr. Miyagi says, it's okay. No one hurt. He's still very peaceful, very kind. And that, that is his way of dealing with it until at one point he and Daniel are really threatened. And then he beats up all the guys with karate. Now he doesn't beat them up any more than he needs to beat them up. He just, he just takes care of it. Now, transferred to what we're talking about. That's why he could be peaceful during the other time. That's why he could say, it's okay. Because he knew if he had to, he had the power and the ability to handle himself and to take care of himself. Theodore Roosevelt. Some of you may have already thought about this. One of his pet proverbs, speak softly and carry a big stick. Well, he fleshed that out a little bit. His, his view was that uh, if, he, says that, he said this, if a man continu continually blusters, a big stick will not save him from trouble and neither will speaking softly avail. If back of the softness there does not lie strength and power. You see, strength 
and this is so different than what many of us are taught. Strength is not talking loudly, being physically imposing or intimidating. It's not a worldly power. And that's, that's why what Jesus is teaching is so different. It is being filled with the Spirit. Back to Isaiah 42. And being filled with the Spirit is dynamite. It's the power of the Spirit. Just two brief illustrations from Jesus' life. Toward the end of His life. Remember, if we were that Jewish person and we were disappointed in Him, what happened when they came for Him in the garden? They came to arrest Him. His disciples wanted to protect Him, naturally so, with what? Swords. His response was, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Why could He say that? Because He could have called all of the legions of angels down at that moment if this was not a part of God's plan, but this was exactly God's plan. And so he was confident to say, that's not what power is. And then he showed it again a short time after that. At his trial before Pilate. It says that he, Pilate, entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. You know what Pilate's response was? The Scripture says from then on he tried to figure out how he could release him. (laughs) Jesus says to Pilate basically, oh, you poor little man. You, You think you're in control here? You're not in control. God is in control. You can't do a thing unless the Father permits you to. Maybe you feel like because of this world that looks at humility or looks at Christianity, you feel like that bruised reed. Because of a world we live in that can tend to beat up on us. Or, not feeling sorry for us, or because of the difficult things that we do face here in this fallen world. It's easy to feel like that that smoldering wick. I'm about to go out. or, Or the bruised reed. Jesus is the one that is tender enough to deal with you and comfort you, but is powerful enough make all things for His glory 
and to always do what is best for you, even when it doesn't look like it from our perspective. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's bow together. Lord, as we've said all along, these things are only true for your, your children, those trusting in you alone for eternal life. May there, Lord, even today be those that see their need and respond to your call to them to come to you because they're feeling so weary and so burdened and to know that in you is that great power that can deal with whatever they're dealing with and yet that gentleness that is not intimidating. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name.